Hey there, friends. It's Nick. So we're just back from seeing the film A Man Called Otto with Tom Hanks, which I really thoroughly enjoyed, but I'll probably talk about that another day, I think. What I want to talk about now is <laughs> it's kind of reframing, recontextualising myself, because one of the things I've discovered today is that our hot water in the cottage is broken, which is obviously not ideal. It's the kind of thing that's never ideal. And it means that we're going to have to replace the immersion heater, which we've done a, maybe two or three times over the past 20 years. You know, these things get a bit like the elements in the bottom of a kettle. They get all furred up and, and in the end they <laughs> they sort of blow up, really. And I was getting, I was sort of properly annoyed about this earlier on because it is a it is a pain. You have to drain the tank and da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, and then I sort of thought about the context of this, because we still have running water. It's not hot, but it's running water, which we didn't have for a couple of days before Christmas when there were some uh, freeze freezing and thawing problems down here in the south of England. But we still have running water. And then I kind of thought back a little bit more. You know, it's not that long ago. In 1950, less than half of the the households in in England actually had separate bathrooms, less than half, 46%, which really isn't that long ago. And in fact, I remember my mum saying, you know, and she's, she sort of was sort of a post-war baby, you know, saying how she and her, you know, her, her sister, they had to, you know, that they had an iron bath they used in their house that was dragged out and put in front of the fire, you know, like a little tub. And if you go back further than that, it's not that long ago. I mean, 18... 60, I think, is the first public water fountain in the UK. We didn't get steel pipes till the 1800s, till the early 1800s. And, you know, the first kind of sort of running water at all, I think, really in the in the UK. Well, you've got some, you know, there are some settlements, ancient sort of prehistoric settlements in Orkney, which looks like they might have had like a wastewater system. But, you know, in terms of what we might call modern history, I think we start getting some running water for the richest people in about 1600. You know, and these are, we're talking about wooden pipes, so there's almost no pressure. And, you know, that's not that long ago, is it? It's, it's what, four, four and a bit Georges, if you've, been, if you've been listening for a while. My mate Georgie died a couple of years ago, aged 100. You know, it's only four of his lifetimes. And it just, the point of this, the reason I'm going on about this is because I wasn't really trying to do it, but it recontextualized, it reframed how I was feeling. I went from feeling quite grumpy to thinking about all of the, the kings and the emperors and the dukes and the barons and all of the the leaders of our world throughout all history, he would have just been amazed, amazed, astounded by the insane luxury of having cold running water. And it's just, I mean, you know, it's an obvious point, right? But we can affect how something feels by the context we give it. And when we're telling our own story, when we're telling a business story, 
when we are seeking to persuade or influence a client or a potential client, a prospect or customer or whatever, so much of it is about the context we create, the world we create within which they view our work or our offer. Context is a massively powerful thing because it <laughs> because it contextualizes the message, the thing we are seeking to say. Anyway, thanks for listening. Remember that your story means business, especially if you get the context right. And if you want to dig deeper into the stuff that I do online, search for story.business. Bye now.